the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. My time certainly flies when you're having fun. Today on the program, we'll talk with Linda Evans Shepard. She's been a guest on the program before. Her latest book, Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. And uh, I'm, I'm talking, she uh, covers like 70 emotions. So we're going to cover a lot of territory. And this is a great book that is based on scripture. In fact, each one of the, the prayers uh, and each one of the chapters, which could be either devotional, uh, that one could go through one after the other, or you could look up specific emotions, whether they are emotions of distress or of great joy. Um, they're all based on scripture. So we'll talk with Linda Evans Shepherd about that when she joins us later this hour. But first, we'll wind our way through some of the top stories of the of the day. The Oregon Health Authority today, or I should say yesterday, reported nine COVID-19 deaths, 616 new coronavirus cases, as the state surpassed more than two million residents uh, partially or fully vaccinated. Well, Oregon is now at least partially vaccinated, nearly half of the state's population. Governor Brown on Tuesday said most COVID-19 restrictions will be lifted when and that rate raises, so rather rises to 70 percent. Well, based on our current trends, Oregon is on track to meet our goal of vaccinating 70 percent of adults by mid to late June. Patrick Allen, who's the authority's director, said in a statement, thanks to all of our partners for helping us stay ahead of a, uh, a virus that is circulating in our communities. Now, I know this is somewhat controversial. I received an email earlier today questioning my salvation because I had mentioned that I uh, was on my doctor's orders um, going to get the vaccine in a couple of weeks when some of the drugs that I've been on um, are no longer part of the um, part of the regime. We need to be careful how we uh, refer to um, to all of this and one another with regard to the vaccine. People have very strong feelings about it. We have to uh, respond according to our conscience. And I uh, admitted yesterday that I am very skeptical about a lot of what's come out of the CDC and other so-called scientific um, directives with regard to this um, uh, this virus. Uh, that being said, I've made the decision to move forward with the virus, or rather with the um, uh, with the vaccination. And my salvation has nothing to do with it. My understanding, regard of, and appreciation of Scripture has nothing to do with it. It's a decision that I've made. If I'm wrong in that decision, it certainly won't be the uh, the first wrong decision I've made. And I'm I'm praying that God will have mercy on me if if I'm you know moving in a direction that's uh, not in my best interest. But nonetheless, just want to caution that we are careful in how we address this particular issue with regard to one another and whether or not that is signaling our relationship with Christ. Anyway, um, 
the Oregon Health Authority did uh, not accurately quantify new vaccinations in its initial news release. Uh, this is going to be updated when accurate numbers are available. Uh, but again, Oregon has passed the 2 million people mark that are partially or fully vaccinated. And when uh, Oregon reaches 70 percent, apparently uh, the restrictions that have been in place for, well, over a year will be lifted. Also, COVID-19 vaccinations will begin Thursday in Oregon for youth age 12 to 15 after the Oregon Health Authority granted final approval late Wednesday. Now, that's a decision parents are going to have to make. The um, uh, Portland area mass vaccination site said that they're ready to start administering the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccination to this preteen and teen group. Initial demand in the Portland area is expected to be strong, with at least one pediatrician's office reporting a wait list of 600 kids long. Well, this is great news for Oregon children, parents and families, the governor said in a written statement. Vaccination is the best tool we have to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Um, how to get the shots. And again, this is a decision that parents are going to have to make based on their understanding of the science, their conscience and so on. The Oregon uh, Convention Center's mass vaccination site is open 7 a.m. to 2 p.m., Um, They're going to accept uh, Thursday walk-ins. Appointments also can be scheduled at allfororegon.org with the number four instead of the word for, allfororegon.org. And the vaccination site is closed on Friday and Saturday, but open Sunday to Tuesday from noon to seven, as well as Wednesday and Thursday from seven to two. Hillsborough Stadium drive-through site will accept uh, a limited number of drop-ins during its operating hours, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. The site will accept Accept a large number of drop-ins from 4 to 7 on Thursday, including 12 to 15-year-olds, according to a spokesman for the Oregon Health and Science University, which operates that site. Spanish and English speakers will be uh, staffing Thursday's event. Appointments also can be scheduled at OHSU's website. Uh, The uh, drive-through site at Portland International Airport's Red Economy parking lot is closing on, or rather closed on Thursday, but it's open on Friday through Monday, 8 to 3. Staff will vaccinate people without appointments based on availability. Appointments also can be scheduled at OHSU's website. Outside of the Portland area, Salem Health officials began vaccinations of young adolescents Thursday at the state fairgrounds, which is open 8 to 5 on Tuesday through Saturday. There was little or no line for walk-ins on Thursday morning, plenty of appointments available for those who wanted to book one by visiting their website, salemhealth.org slash COVID-19 slash COVID vaccine. Well, pediatricians offices, medical offices, community clinics, and pharmacies also expect to offer shots. The websites for Walgreens, CVS, Fred Meyer are among those scheduling appointments. Um, the CEO of Selwood Medical uh, Clinic said at one point her clinic had a wait list of 600 children long, which is surprising to me. I would think Parents would be a bit reluctant, apparently not. Uh, She said the clinic scheduled uh, more than 400 appointments for 12 to 15-year-olds in less than 90 minutes on Wednesday for the coming days. Vaccination sites are requiring parental consent for children 12 to 15. At the convention center, for example, if someone else accompanies a child uh, to the vaccination, a parent or guardian should fill out a consent form listed on the uh, Oregon Uh, the allfororegon.org website ahead of time. Oregon law allows uh, youth 15 and older to uh, consent to the vaccine on their own, so parental approval is not needed 
uh, for them. Well, you might recall a clinical trial showed the Pfizer vaccine was safe and highly effective in a trial of more than 2,200 youth ages 12 to 15. After two doses, the study rec- uh, recorded 18 cases of people with COVID-19 symptoms in the placebo group, but zero uh, that had um, received the vaccine. On Monday, the Food and Drug Administration approved the vaccine for this age group. An advisory committee to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the agency's director signed off on Wednesday. Shots immediately began going into the arms of uh, young people in uh, several states. And again, I'm not recommending the vaccination. I think each of us has to make a a decision based on our understanding, um, our conscience, and, and all of that. I'm just suggesting Uh, that these are this is the information you'll need if you choose to move in that direction. And certainly whether one is vaccinated or not chooses to do so or strongly opposes it is not reflective of your status before a holy God uh, to whom we have access through his son, Jesus Christ. So let's uh, let's not go there. Also, I wanted to mention that fully vaccinated people can ditch their masks indoors and physical distancing. That's according to the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky calling the uh, update, uh, updated recommendations an exciting and powerful moment. Well, people who are fully vaccinated against coronavirus no longer need to wear masks while indoors or outdoors or physical distance in either large or small gatherings. And again, that's the CE, uh, CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, announcing during a White House COVID briefing on Thursday. Now, that doesn't mean in the states of Oregon and Washington that the rules that apply in each respective states may require you to wear masks and social distance. I'm talking about what the CDC has recommended based on science. Fully vaccinated individuals, she went on to say, are still advised to wear the masks while in crowded indoor settings, such as while on public transportation, in a hospital, prison, homeless shelter, and so on. We have all longed for the moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy, Walensky said. Based on the continuing downward trajectory of uh, cases, the scientific data on the performance of our vaccines, and our understanding of how the virus spreads, that moment has come for those who are fully vaccinated. Um Immunocompromised individuals should consult a physician before giving up masks, Walensky says, a warning that if the country's case counts go back up, uh, the guidance could change. This virus can be unpredictable, so if things get worse, there is always a chance uh, we need to make a change uh, to those uh, to these recommendations. So that's the latest from the CDC. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, we'll talk with Linda Evans Shepard. She's a best selling author. And her latest book, Praying Through Every Emotion Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. The book is published by Ravel. She'll join us for the next couple of segments. Well, for well over a year, a certain clique of um, researchers tarred the idea that COVID-19 initially escaped from a laboratory in Wuhan, China, as a conspiracy theory. Well, now their grip on that narrative within the scientific community is loosening as a growing chorus of experts calls for a closer look at this lab leak hypothesis. Well, in a letter published this afternoon at Science, 18 scientists call for an investigation into the pandemic's origins that doesn't discount the possibility of a lab leak. Theories of accidental release from a lab and 
um, zoonotic spillover both remain viable, they write. Knowing how COVID-19 emerged is critical from uh, forming global strategies to mitigate the risk of future outbreaks, end quote. Well, these researchers have joined the World Health Organization Director General, top intelligence officials, and other U.S. government experts in asserting that such a leak remains a possible explanation despite a joint uh, World Health Organization or WHO China studies findings that such a theory is extremely unlikely. Like the Biden administration and 13 other countries that signed on to a U.S.-led statement after the report's release, they, re- they raised concerns about how the panel reached its findings. Their letter comes as a member of, uh, as rather members of Congress have started to ramp up their scrutiny of a potential lab leak origin. Jamie Metzel, who is an advisor with the World Health Organization and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, explained the letter's significance on Twitter. The chokehold on public consideration of an accidental lab incident as a possible hashtag pandemic origin has just been broken following publication of the science letter. It will be irresponsible for any scientific journal or news outlet to not fully represent this viable hypothesis. Now, you'll note that they're emphasizing this as an accidental uh, uh, release or leak of the uh, of the virus. Well, the science letter finds the joint World Health Organization China report lacking and and evaluates the likelihood of a different origin theory uh, that the panel uh, than the panel asserted. And although there were no findings in clear support of either a natural spillover or a lab accident, the team assessed a zoonotic a spillover from an um, intermediate host is likely. Uh, to very likely and a laboratory incident as extremely unlikely. Well, the authors of the letter add, furthermore, the two theories were not given balanced consideration. Only four of the 313 pages of the report and its annexes address um, the possibility of a laboratory accident. Well, the letter doesn't claim that the lab leak hypothesis is more credible than the zoonotic origin theory. It's notable, however, that the letter in a major scientific journal is putting these two theories on equal footing. That's significant. Well, some figures associated with the uh, the Lancet have called the lab leak scenario a conspiracy theory, including Jeffrey Sachs, the chair of the medical journal's COVID commission, and Peter Daszak, the chair of the commission's subcommittee on COVID origins. Dazak, whose nonprofit research group received hundreds of thousands of dollars from the National Institutes of Health for studies on bat coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, was a member of the joint uh, WHO-China panel and has faced charges that uh, they failed to disclose potential conflicts of interest. Richard Ebright, uh, uh, Rutgers University chemical biology professor, told National Review last month that their efforts helped to create the false impression that there's a scientific consensus about the possibility of a lab leak origin. No such consensus exists then. Um, No such consensus exists now, he said. Well, this latest entry into the debate in the pages of a preeminent scientific journal shows that the ground is shifting away from a hollow narrative that's been all too pervasive since the start of the pandemic. Well, in other news, the Colonial Pipeline is back online after gas shortages uh, following a devastating cyber attack. The Colonial Pipeline has returned to operations following that event that snarled gas supply for the eastern U.S. for days, according to Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm. 
Following this restart, it's going to take several days for the product delivery supply chain to return to normal. Colonial Pipeline said in a statement, some markets served by Colonial Pipeline may experience or continue to experience intermittent service interruptions during the the, uh, startup period. Colonial will move as much gasoline, diesel and jet fuel as is safely possible and will continue to do so until markets return to normal. The statement went on to say, well, hackers had demanded millions of ransom money, uh, which the pipeline operator refused to pay, enlisting help from the Department of Energy as well as federal, state and local authorities instead. Earlier this week, the company had resumed partial operations under manual control, according to a Wednesday statement from Deputy Energy Secretary Dave Turk. It has since been circulated that they did, in fact, pay uh, the ransom, some $5 million. We'll tell you more about that in uh, in just a few moments. Well, Colonial said safety would be their primary focus following the restart. The pipeline operator is going to conduct a series of safety assessments to comply with federal guidelines. In other developments, the White House is acknowledging the gas shortage after the Biden energy secretary called it a supply crunch. Colonial Pipeline was looking for a cybersecurity manager months before the hack took place. And the ransomware gang behind Colonial Pipeline's attack and gas shortage were motivated by spin and money, but apparently not politics. We'll talk more on that later in the program as well. Well, President Biden called Netanyahu saying Israel has a right to defend itself against Hamas attacks, stating the obvious. Well, President Biden on Wednesday spoke with the prime minister to affirm U.S. support for Israel after a night of bloodshed with civilians in Tel Aviv sheltering uh, from Hamas rockets. I had a conversation with Bibi Netanyahu not so long ago. I'll be putting out a statement very shortly on that, Biden told reporters at the White House. My expectation and hope is that this will be closing down sooner than later, but Israel has a right to defend itself against thousands of rockets flying into your territory. End quote. Well, Israel has launched airstrikes against the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip to target what it says are caches of rockets stored by the Islamic group uh, close to where civilians live. Both sides in the conflict have reported civilian casualties. In other develop, uh, developments, Mayim Balik, speaking out on Israel, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, calls it devastating. And world leaders are urging peace amid ongoing Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Liberal figures are being mocked for blaming Jared Kushner uh, and the Abraham Accords after Israeli-Palestinian violence erupted. Well, Liz Cheney has been ousted from her role as House GOP conference chair. Her replacement is still unclear. House Republicans ousted her from the number three spot, Representative Liz Cheney, on Wednesday morning in a closed-door vote from leadership. But the Wyoming Republican remained defiant on the way out. Cheney had remained steadfast in her opposition to former President Donald Trump and his dangerous lies, as she put them, about the 2020 election being stolen from him, putting her at odds with either Uh, with other House Republicans who wanted to move on from the January 6th riot and unite the party to win in the 2022 midterms. Well, Cheney was removed by a voice vote and took a swing at Trump after the Capitol meeting. I will do everything I can to ensure that the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office, Cheney said after her ouster. We have seen the danger that he continued to provoke with his language. We have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution. And I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody 
uh, who will be faithful to the Constitution, end quote. Republicans, however, felt that Cheney's continued comments against Trump and conflicting statements against leadership were playing in Democrats' hands and becoming a distraction. She already survived a vote of no confidence in February, but instead of treading lightly after the warning shot, Cheney continued to double down on her rhetoric, angering her colleagues, and she is out. In other news, um, Grinnell calls Susan Rice the shadow president, and no one is paying attention. I'll share more of his comments uh, later in the program. And Ohio Governor Mike DeWine announced a $1 million lottery for vaccinated citizens by way of incentive. President Biden says he's not supposed to be answering all these questions when pressed by reporters. That comes as something of a surprise to the American people. And the NFL released the 2021 schedule with week one just a few months away. Sotheby is uh, accepting cryptocurrency as Banksy art sells about $12.9 million. And Boeing won FAA approval for the 737 MAX electrical fix. Frank Sinatra's Desert Hideaway can't find a buyer after 15 years. Thought you might be interested. And Tesla won't accept Bitcoin due to the currency's reliance on fossil fuel. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll talk with Linda Evans-Shepard. She's the author of Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace, No Matter What. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. My next guest makes the point that emotions are a gift from God. I've never heard it put quite that way, because emotions can be so unreliable, and yet... This award-winning author and prayer expert teaches how to navigate every emotion with prayer. Now, what a concept. When not kept in check, what was intended to bring us closer to God can become a barrier to experiencing His peace. So in her new book, Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What, prayer warrior and award-winning author Linda Evans-Shepard, she directs readers, she directs us and our emotions toward God with prayer for nearly 70 different emotions. Finding peace is the aim, she says. Praying through emotions, uh, she writes, is not about learning to um, control your circumstances. It's about learning how to release your circumstances to the one who loves you, the one you can trust. Well, Linda Evans-Shepard is an award-winning author, a successful speaker, and a media personality, the president of Right to the Heart Ministries, and the founder of the Arise Esther Movement. She is the author of many books, including When You Don't Know What to Pray and Praying God's Promises. She lives in Colorado, but today we have her to ourselves as we talk about her latest book. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be back, Georgine. I want to just start with the, the the statement that you make, that emotions are a gift from God. We so often dismiss them because we don't know how to manage them well. We don't often submit them to God, and they can be confusing and unreliable. But they really are a gift from God. How did you arrive at that conclusion that so many of us miss? Well, you know, I've been through the ringer a time or two, <laughs> <laughs> and I learned, number one, to pray through the emotions, but number two, that sometimes a negative emotion is like a phone call from God. Hello, are you there? Do you want to call out to me now? And when we learn to call out to God when we are experiencing pain of different sorts, then he will answer with his peace. He is so faithful to do that. Was there a, a particular circumstance or set of circumstances or an emotional state that led you to put this compilation of emotions together that draw that's based on Scripture that draws our attention to where it ought to be in the midst of either negative or positive emotion to God? 
Absolutely. When my daughter was thrown into the freeway in a dreadful car accident over Mm. 30 years ago and spent a year in coma, I have to tell you, I had a lot of negative emotions. I had a lot of doubts. I had a lot of worry and stress. And that's when I learned. I decided to go deeper in prayer. I wanted to know how to really reach out to God and how to really get his attention with my prayer requests. And I learned that he hears us. And even in those times when we don't know that he's moving beneath our wings, it's a time that we can learn to trust him because he is, in fact, moving. And so I learned a lot through my own circumstances and, of course, through Scripture. And, in fact, it says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that tells me one thing. God is indeed very interested in our emotions, and these emotions are our goal no matter what our circumstances are. Mm. You alluded to this earlier, but how does God use our emotions to draw us closer to himself? Keeping in mind that he is the author of everything about us, how does he use our emotions? Well, when we have pain, we go to him, or we should. Um, We shouldn't think to ourselves, oh, God doesn't like me. God doesn't care about me. God isn't answering my prayers. Instead, we should say, God, you know what? I'm going to call out to you about this pain. And besides that, I'm going to trust you through it. And when we can come to that conclusion, it can not only change our emotions, it can change our circumstances because God answers prayer. We often tend to focus on our emotions instead of giving them over to God. Is there a a common impediment that prevents us from looking up uh, rather than looking uh, inward and to ourselves when we're in the midst of emotions that can so often uh, mislead or um, undermine our, our our need for God to intervene in our circumstance and with what's going on in our hearts? You know, I think there is, and I think that particular emotion is doubt. We doubt Mm -hmm. God loves us. We doubt God will answer. We doubt God hears us. And that is untrue. God does love us. He hears us and he cares. And so when we use our emotions as a call to pray, then we become connected to God in a bigger, deeper way because prayer is our way to connect with God. Reading the Word helps too, and in fact, that's what I did. I did a miniature Bible study on these 70-plus different emotions, and what I did was paraphrase the scriptures that I found into very wow prayers, prayers that you pray the Word and then just feel that anointing from the Word. And you know one thing, you know that God's Word is His will. So not only are you praying his will, you are praying to God through the power of his word and to a God who answers, hears, and cares. As you mentioned, you include a prayer for nearly 70 different emotions. Are there um, one or two that you find yourself praying most often? Well, sure. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I'm just feeling out of sorts. I pick up the book and I flip to it and I I might turn to one that will really turn the lights on for me. Uh, In fact, the other day I'm going to 
I'm going to flip here. I, I needed, I just felt I needed more strength. I felt very weak. A lot of things had been going on in my life. And I'm just going to read you a few lines from this, uh, this particular prayer. Um, and here it is. Dear Lord, sometimes I look at my problems and wonder if I'm strong enough to endure them all. But I have a secret weapon. I can continually seek your strength. I'm sorry when I'm impatient because you always flex your muscles and do the heavy lifting. You are always right on time, never too early, never too late. And, of course, this is just the first one-fifth of the prayer, but it's based on Scripture, First Chronicles 16.11, right there. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. And in Psalms 27.14, wait with hope for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Yes, wait with hope for the Lord. And that's the other thing I do in the book. I actually have the Scriptures that you mm-hmm. are praying through on the other side of the page. So let's say that you're struggling with addiction. Um, that's the very first prayer in the book. You, in fact, a lot of uh, groups that are um, uh, addiction recovery groups are using this book and particularly this prayer. And I recommend that you memorize the scripture, you meditate on the scripture, and you pray the prayer daily and watch how God will transform your life. Mm. I should mention that the uh, uh, Praying Through Every Emotion is arranged topically. Readers can choose to read the book straight through uh, as a devotional or consult the table of contents to find prayers they need at a particular uh, moment. Every prayer, as you pointed out, is paraphrased, um, a paraphrase rather, of an accompanying scripture passage that is also uh, part of the book that allows the readers to pray God's word back to him. So it's very practical and biblical in uh, its approach. We often um, consider the benefits of praying our emotions to God, but what happens when we focus on our emotions more than we focus on God? What's the what's the downside of, of failing to take advantage of this invitation we've been given to come into his presence with the things that either trouble us or bring us great joy? Well, just imagine that you're focusing on fear, and what you're actually doing is you're giving fear power, control of your life. And in fact, you're actually worshiping fear, and that's not worshiping God. When you turn your focus on the God who hears, the God who is stronger than any problem you might have, then you begin to worship God. And so these prayers will help you take your focus off of the problem, the worry, the doubt, the, the, uh, the sadness, the powerlessness, the pain that you may feel, and it will help you turn your focus back onto God. And that's half the battle. We're talking this afternoon with Linda Evans Shepherd. She's the author of many books. Today we're talking about her latest, Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. I want to emphasize in bold and underline no matter what. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Linda Evans Shepherd. She's a best selling author, and we're talking about her latest book, Praying Through Every Emotion Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. The book is published by, uh, by Revell. Now, you researched to see what the word had to say about. Um, the 70 emotions that are featured in the book. And it may be surprising that there are 70 of them, and we're not just talking about emotions of distress, but sometimes emotions of great joy as well. 
Um, were there insights that you gleaned generally about emotions uh, and God's word uh, that you benefited from uh, personally and that we certainly will benefit by uh, in the book? You know, there was. And one thing that I was really surprised about was that there's so much mention of our emotions in the mm-hmm. word. So it's something that God obviously cares about and wants to help us through and to help us with. And the other thing that really surprised me was how many times emotions were related to scriptures about the Holy Spirit, especially emotions about joy and peace and patience and those kinds of things. And it made me understand something I had never really seen before, and that is the more of God's presence we have in our life, the more peace we will have in our life, because His Holy Spirit can give us the peace that passes understanding. And how exciting to to find that, to discover that, and then to create prayers that help my readers also discover Discover the power, and you can get the power of the Spirit through reading Scripture, or just praying that old, old prayer more, Holy Spirit. Mm, yes. Now, 2020 and it's bled over into 2021 was certainly an anxiety-inducing uh, season for many of us. Can you share um, the prayer for anxiety as we are still in the midst of it, although things seem to be improving somewhat? What does the uh, Scripture have to say in your prayer on anxiety? I would be happy to share, and I'm going to share some of the scriptures uh, real quick. First yes. Peter 5, 7 is, turn all your anxiety over to God because he cares for you. What? I love that. <laughs> and then, hey, let's look at Isaiah 41, 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Doesn't that make you just feel the peace? Just yes. letting that yes. word nestle into your heart. And then Matthew six twenty five, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And then the last scripture that I have that goes with anxious is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Such beautiful scriptures to remind us of the um, the sovereignty, the holiness, the, the power, the love, the grace of God in the midst of circumstances that could overwhelm us if we didn't turn our attention and focus on him. Amen. Now, and we can. We can yes. bypass the anxiety and just trust him with all of our heart. Now, how do we pray Uh, As the book um, suggests, how do we pray through that emotion in the midst of the challenging circumstances we find ourselves in? Well, number one, just knowing the word and what the word says about it. And then, you know, I have to recommend my book, (laughs) Flip (laughs) to the Anxious Prayer. And shall I read that? Yes, please. I will. Okay, here we go. Dear Lord, the trouble in this world 
is has made me anxious. I read that wrong. The trouble in this the trouble in this world has made me anxious. But you want me to turn my anxieties over to you. You remind me not to fear or be dismayed because you are my God. You promise to strengthen and help me as you hold my hand. Okay, I'll take your anxiety challenge and give you all my anxieties. I turn over my life, my food, my clothes, my body, and my fears, and all my worries to you. After all, the birds never worry or stress out about their lives, and you take wonderful care of them. And you've said that I'm more important to you than the birds. My anxiety has been unproductive, causing my head to spin as I search for impossible solutions instead of trusting you. But the solutions are not up to me. The solutions to my problems belong to you. You can figure everything out so much better than I can even imagine. All I have to say is thank you. I declare that you are in charge of my problems. I trust you to show me what to do in every situation as you put me on the right path. I give you my hand and take a deep breath as I realize you've got this. You've got all of it. I will trust you every day, remembering that you are the Lord over all, and especially over me. In the name of Jesus, amen. Mm. Such a a beautiful prayer, such a powerful prayer that um, puts things into perspective. It's not just a matter of um, words that that, um, are reassuring, but to know that you're praying to the living God who hears and has the capacity to do everything that this prayer uh, reflects. Was Amen. it a challenge uh, to you um, to not to find the scriptures necessarily, but then to put into words the prayers that accompany those scriptures that give your readers an opportunity to pray his word back to him? No, it was not a challenge. It was so much fun because the way I did it is I, I gathered the scriptures I then organized the scriptures, and then I just asked the Spirit to guide me as I wrote the prayer. And it was so much fun to feel that flow and just to experience the prayer as I wrote it. And, of course, I did a lot of editing to refine it, but but I really believe God was with me as I wrote these. Now, we tend to focus on emotions that are Uh, disconcerting to us, but you also write about um, healthy uh, emotions as well, like being uh, and positive emotions, like being blessed and faith and grace and hope and peace. Um, How does praying uh, those emotions uh, back to God, how does that also contribute to a sense of peace, which uh, under these circumstances wouldn't necessarily have been disturbed? Well, you know, number one, we are blessed. We are blessed because God loves us, every one of us, everyone who is listening. God loves you. And so we are blessed. But sometimes we don't claim it. And by that I mean we just don't agree with it. We don't believe it. But what if you begin to pray a prayer called blessed or begin to to meditate on scriptures that talk about your blessing and begin to understand and pray. I love to pray these out loud. Pray them out loud so that your mind really understands and it goes deeper into your heart that we are blessed and that God is with us. 
and that it is possible to have joy. It is possible to have peace. You might be saying, you don't know what I'm going through. You know, I don't, but I do know that our God is bigger than what you are going through. And I know that if you ask him, because I've done it so many times, he will give you peace. He will give you joy. He will help you trust him. It's amazing as we stay connected to God through prayer and we begin to talk to him, because that's all we're doing, we're talking to him, how he will answer us even in our emotions. Yeah. He doesn't require a particular vocabulary. He hears our hearts cry. And I so appreciate your giving voice to the prayers that are born out of these emotions, uh, the 70 emotions that you highlight in your book, Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. Well, Linda Evans-Shepard, thank you so much for the book, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us here today. I really appreciate it. I have so enjoyed it, Georgine, and I hope to talk to you again. Yeah, look forward to the next time. God bless. (laughs) Bye-bye. Again, the book is titled Praying Through Every Emotion, Experiencing God's Peace No Matter What. It's a great book to have on your nightstand or uh, where you keep your Bible so that you can uh, thumb through it and find a beautifully written prayer as well as scriptures uh, that will help us to navigate some of this uh, very challenging territory. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up next, so stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Well, President Biden says Israel has a right to defend itself. The president didn't uh, condemn Hamas terrorists for firing rockets at Israel on Wednesday when he was asked about the uh, ongoing violence in the Middle East. But Israel has a right to defend itself when you have thousands of rockets flying into your territory. He did say, I had a conversation for a while with the prime minister of Israel, and I think that my hope is that we'll see this coming to conclusion sooner than later. Uh, From another story, for four years, Israel had a reliable ally in the White House. Uh, Donald Trump moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, recognized Israeli sovereignty in the Golan Heights, made it clear that the U.S. supported Israel's right to self-defense and cut aid to the Palestinians that has been traditionally used to incite terrorism. He also recognized that Iran was a significant threat and ratcheted up sanctions as part of a maximum pressure campaign. While Democrats howled that these actions would set the region in flames, it actually led to historic peace deals between Israel and Arab states. Biden has sent the actual opposite signs. He restored the incitement money to the Palestinians to signal closer ties and at the same time has uh, shown a desperation to return to the disastrous Iran deal. His administration has signaled a willingness uh, to even lift sanctions aimed at its sponsorship of terrorism. You can read more on that in the National Review. Now, along with supporting Israel's right to defend itself and hoping that the end of hostilities is near, I'm also concerned and pray for Palestinian Christians, uh, and there are many of them who are suffering sort of in the middle of all of this as well. So let's remember uh, remember them. Well, the Colonial Pipeline is back up and running, but Colonial said in a statement it will take several days for the product delivery supply chain to return to normal. From uh, Spencer Brown, he says that when asked whether the Colonial Pipeline shut down, taking 45% of the, uh, the East Coast fuel supply offline suggests the U.S. needs more pipelines, Secretary Buttigieg, never thought I'd say those two words together. Secretary Buttigieg says, I'm not sure it really speaks to the number of uh, or quantity of pipelines. Must be the new math. Steve Scalise says Joe Biden's own energy secretary admitted that pipe 
is the best way to transport fuel. So why did Joe Biden cancel the Keystone XL pipeline? It's a rhetorical question. And Charles Cook looks at the White House's baffling response to the colonial pipeline hack, which uh, still has some scratching their heads. Well, the administration has killed a once booming economy. David Harson, you points out in National Review, with lockdowns easing and vaccines entering uh, entering uh, arms, a vibrant economic bounce back should be a slam dunk for the president. Instead, Biden couldn't resist the opportunity to stuff expensive Uh, technocratic, completely unrelated agenda items into his rescue packages and de-incentivizing work and investment, threatening to raise taxes and spike energy prices and pumping trillions into the economy tends to dampen growth. From the Wall Street Journal, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell's inflation ship has come in, albeit more rudely than he probably wanted. The consumer price index rose a remarkable 4.2 percent at an annual rate in April and 3 percent in the core measure that excludes food and energy. Mr. Powell wanted more inflation and now he's got it. Later, again in the Wall Street Journal, the money supply has been growing rapidly and cash is chasing higher returns across the economy amidst uh, zero interest rates. Junk bond issuance this year is at a record pace. Asset prices have boomed. The danger is that expectations for higher inflation will rise and become embedded in business and consumer decisions. Transitory then becomes longer and the Fed might have no uh, no choice but to end the uh, the party perhaps more abruptly than it wants. And from the Washington Times, President Biden's second 100 days are off to a woeful start, including a gas shortage for much of the East Coast, a surge of inflation, a slowdown in hiring despite a record number of job openings, renewed fighting in the Middle East, and an unresolved border crisis. Well, Andrew Yang has now apologized for a tweet that supported Israel. He was apparently unaware that Democrats are required to treat terrorists with kid gloves. He's on board now, apologizing for saying that Israel has a right to defend itself. Well, police are leaving Minneapolis, costing the city tens of millions of dollars. Well, from the story, leaders in Minneapolis may shell out approximately $35 million in settlements for police and firefighters who left the job in a year, during which riots rocked the city, followed by the death of George Floyd. Attorney Ron Muser, who claims to represent about uh, 200 public servants who walked off the job since the area was plagued with prolonged civil unrest, looting and arson, said local government authorities have begun signing off on workers' compensation packages that average $175,000, according to Fox 9 in Minneapolis. Well, a story claims that Vice President Kamala Harris now backs the Trump border policy she once condemned. From the story, months before the election, then-Senator Kamala Harris, she signed on to a letter with fellow Democrats accusing the Trump administration of violating federal law when it took the drastic step of citing the pandemic to close down the Mexican border. Political noted on Wednesday, well, now, after being sworn in as vice president, Harris backs the Biden administration's decision to keep the border uh, closed under that very same provision, according to two people familiar with her thinking. Well, the uh, Texas House of Representatives has passed a bill gutting critical race theory. The Senate is expected to pass the bill as well, which is similar to one they passed earlier. And a ski resort is seeking to use treated sewage to make fake snow. Hmm. It's an outside-the-box idea, Ron Chandler, the environmental manager for the club, says, speaking to the Associated Press. But it also checks a lot of boxes. It also checks some boxes nobody ever seeks to check. Kind of gives new meaning to making snow angels and 
you know, just enjoying eating a little snow. Well, the Colonial Pipeline is back online, while Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is ordering the Canadian pipeline to shut down. No rest for the weary. A cracked Memphis bridge remains indefinitely closed, disrupting supply chains there. Infrastructure, that's the word. And the Biden administration plans to finish a 13-mile section of Trump's border wall in Texas. Meanwhile, Texas immigration agents spend less than 50% of their time patrolling the border amid the current surge. In government and politics, President Biden and congressional leaders didn't get any uh, anywhere on infrastructure during the big White House meeting, according to CNBC. And Republican leaders, bottom line, no tax hikes to pay for infrastructure that's been so broadly defined that it has little to do in many cases with infrastructure. Well, Facebook fact-checked a scientific piece urging COVID-19 originated in a Chinese lab. And federal taxes, spending, and deficit all set records through the month of April. 124 retired generals and admirals say the U.S. is in a in deep peril under Biden. We'll tell you more about that later in the program, if time permits. And 124 generals and admirals are part of that, uh, that effort. Well, in the wake of the pipeline hack, Biden signs an executive order on cybersecurity, and a Russian spy unit is suspected of uh, directed energy attacks on U.S. personnel. China has increased spending 500% to influence America, according to Axios. Other notables, Ohio bets uh, taxpayer-funded lottery will convince people to get shots. And president of the University of Colorado is stepping down after informally referring to the Trail of Tears. Apparently didn't refer to it in a context that the new censors approved of. Non copus mentis? Well, The award goes to officials warning people not to fill plastic bags with gasoline amid the panic over gas shortages on the eastern seaboard. Well, this day in history, 1864, the first soldier is buried in what would become Arlington National Cemetery. 1918, the first U.S. airmail stamp costing 24 cents, which in 1918 was a lot of money, and featuring a picture of a Curtis JN4 biplane is publicly issued. On some of the stamps, the Jenny is printed upside down, making them collector's items. 1940, on this day in history, in his first speech as British Prime Minister, Winston Churchill tells Parliament, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. 1958, Vice President Richard Nixon and his wife Pat are spat upon and their limousine battered by rocks thrown by anti-U.S. demonstrators in Caracas, Venezuela. 1973, in tennis, first so-called Battle of the Sexes, Bobby Riggs defeated uh, Margaret Court 6-2-6-1 in Ramona, California. Billie Jean King soundly defeated Riggs at the Houston Astrodome in September. 1981, on this day in history, Pope John Paul II is shot and seriously wounded in St. Peter's Square by Turkish assailant Mehmet Ali Agra. On this day in history, 2004, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld visits the Abu Ghraib prison, uh, the camp in Iraq, where he insists the Pentagon did not try to cover up abuses there. During a campaign swing in West Virginia, President George W. Bush says he feels disgraced by the images of U.S. soldiers abusing Iraqi prisoners, but tells his listeners that the actions of a handful of Americans should not sully the nation's military. And finally, on this day in history, 2014, a European court in an important test of the right to be forgotten rules that Google has to amend some of its search results at the request of ordinary people when they show links to outdated, irrelevant 
information. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Colonial Pipeline Company paid the group that hacked its pipeline a nearly $5 million ransom in untraceable cryptocurrency within hours of the cyber attack. That's what two people familiar with the payment told Bloomberg on Thursday. Well, the report contradicts Colonial's public assertion that it did not pay the hacking group DarkSide Ransom. Following this cyber attack, a third person familiar with the ransom said the U.S. government is aware Colonial paid DarkSide, which is believed to be based in Russia or Eastern Europe. Well, Colonial declined Bloomberg's request for comment for reasons I suppose we can all understand. White House officials initially didn't say whether Colonial paid Ransom in comments to the press on Monday. Typically, that's a private sector decision. That's a quote from the Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber Issues, Ann Neuberger, speaking to reporters. We recognize that victims of cyber attacks often face a very difficult situation, and they have to just balance often the cost-benefit when they have no choice with regards to paying a ransom. Colonial is a private company and will defer information regarding their decision on paying a ransom to them. Well, the attack forced Colonial to temporarily shut down much of its services, causing gas shortages and rising prices across the East Coast. Colonial transports roughly 45% of all fuel consumed on the East Coast. Well, the ransomware gang responsible for the Colonial Pipeline attack claims it's driven by money and not politics. I suppose that's more virtuous and even insists it has a charitable streak. Well, there you go with virtue signaling. Well, in the wake of the devastating Colonial Pipeline cyber attack causing massive shortages in parts of the U.S., Darkside, the Russia-based ransomware group uh, behind the attack, had gone so far as to issue a press release stating that their organization is apolitical. I'm not sure how that helps. We are apolitical. We do not participate in geopolitics, do not need to tie us with a defined government and look for other uh, for other our motives. That's a direct quote. The the, uh, group said in a statement. Then uh, after proclaiming it's just about the money, uh, they toss in a measure of ostensible goodwill, adding our goal is to make money and not creating problems for society. But of course, in making money, they're creating problems for society. From today, they went on to say we introduce um, moderation and check each company that our partners want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future. So theft always has social consequences. I suppose uh, they have a hierarchy of consequences that they're willing to live with or at least force others to live with. The PR campaign appears to be little more than a weak attempt to uh, spin Uh, By a criminal organization, what we are seeing is a criminal industry that normally enjoys being in the media spotlight, suddenly realizing that they made a big mistake. That's what Lawrence Abrams, who runs a cybersecurity news site, Bleeping Computer, has said. Others agree. Well, the truth is this uh, uh, configuration of theft is going to continue into the future. The series of events playing out right now are hurting Darkseid's business. Uh, another spokesperson for a crypto security firm, Checkpoint, said, uh, Ekram Ahmed. And so it appears they've issued a generic statement in a futile attempt to, well, defuse the situation. And the gang has reportedly even given money to charities, including Children International and The Water Project. Well, I know I feel a whole lot better about uh, theft, knowing that some of the proceeds uh, went to charitable organizations. Okay, no, I actually don't feel any better. Well, Richard Grinnell, the former acting director of national intelligence under President Trump, said in an interview with CPAC that he believes Susan Rice has assumed the role 
of shadow president. Uh, Rice, who served as national security advisor under President Obama, was tapped last December by President Biden to take charge of the White House Domestic Policy Council. It's in that role that Grinnell believes she is exerting her significant influence. Biden is too weak, he asserts, to stop the progressive left from taking over. Vice President Kamala Harris doesn't understand what's going on. We have a shadow president in Susan Rice, and no one is paying attention, he says. Well, Rice is one of many officials from the Obama administration that landed jobs in the Biden White House. There was speculation that she would be his running mate, and when uh, that never materialized Secretary of State. She is among the wealthiest individuals in the Biden White House, with a net worth estimated to be at least $37.9 million, according to the Wall Street Journal. She resigned last December from her role as a member of the board of directors at Netflix. Grinnell was uh, interviewed by Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union, Mercedes Schlapp, his wife and former White House director of strategic communications for the Trump administration. He said that it is apparent that Biden's efforts to placate the far left uh, in his party while dealing with significant foreign policy concerns is leading to more headaches. He said Rice's expertise in the foreign policy, not domestic policy. He called her appointment a signal that all of our foreign policy will be treated like domestic policy. The foreign policy mess that they are creating is a mess because they are placating the far left domestically, he said. And this is, again, Grinnell. He predicted in January that he believed Rice would be calling the shots. Well, the White House didn't immediately respond to an email Asking for clarification, the Biden administration has made it clear that it believes the border surge is the result of the Trump administration's policies. Ned Price, the State Department spokesman, was asked on Monday about a tweet from Representative Ilhan Omar, who called uh, proposing uh, uh, proposed evictions in Jerusalem essentially ethnic cleansing. And the New York Times reported Price said Omar's uh, claim was not something that our uh, analysis supports. So a rather interesting perspective on who's calling the shots in Washington and more significantly in the White House. Well, to no one's surprise, James Mattis didn't sign the letter, nor uh, we suppose did any other supporters of the Paris Climate Agreement and the Iran nuke deal. Well, the flag officers who want to save America, 124 retired generals and admirals, did sign this letter. And that uh, lends great significance to the open letter they published this week. Because it's not every day that such a large group of senior military officials, officials rather, speak out, nor every day that such a group openly questions both the, both the legitimacy of a national election and the physical and mental health of a sitting commander-in-chief. But question, they did. Our nation is in deep peril, their letter begins. We are in a fight for our survival as a constitutional republic like no other, no other time since our founding in 1776. The conflict is between supporters of socialism and Marxism versus supporters of constitutional freedom and liberty. During the liberty, there's no D in liberty. During the 2020 election, an open letter from senior military leaders was signed by 317 retired generals and admirals, and it said the 2020 election could could be the most important election since our country was founded. With the Democrat Party welcoming socialists and Marxists, our historic way of life is at stake. Unfortunately, that statement, uh, that statement's truth was quickly revealed beginning the uh, election process itself. Well, apparently the flag officers didn't get the, uh, the memo that the 2020 election was fraud-free and that basement Joe, um, uh, Joe Biden got all 81 million of his record-shattering votes on the up-and-up. No, these flag officers appear to have joined the tens of millions of others 
who aren't satisfied that the issue of fraud was uh, ever fully investigated and adjudicated. Or, as former House Republican Conference Chair Liz Cheney might say, they're spreading the big lie. So the great divide continues. But this letter, this open letter, 127 retired generals and admirals are questioning whether or not the republic will, in fact, stand. We'll share more of what they had to say in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As mentioned just before the break, there were 124 flag officers, retired generals and admirals, who signed a letter that lends great significance to the, uh, uh, the effort uh, published this week um, to question the current uh, commander-in-chief as well as the legitimacy of the direction the republic seems to be going. Quoting from their letter, again written and uh, signed on rather uh, by 124 retired generals and admirals, uh, without fair and honest elections that accurately reflect the will of the people, their letter continues, our constitutional republic is lost. Election integrity demands ensuring there is one legal vote cast and counted per citizen. Legal votes are identified by state legislatures, approved controls um, using government IDs, verified signatures, etc. Today, many are calling such common sense controls racists in an attempt to avoid having fair and honest elections. Using racial terms to suppress proof of eligibility is itself a tyrannical intimidation tactic. Additionally, the rule of law must be enforced in our election process to ensure integrity. The FBI, the Supreme Court, must act swiftly when election irregularities are um, are surfaced and not ignore them as was done in 2020. Finally, HR1 and S1, if passed, would destroy election fairness and allow Democrats to forever remain in power, violating our constitution and ending our representative republic. Now we talked a bit about the House and Senate um reflections of this legislation, uh, and that's what they're referencing. Clearly, the flag officer's response uh, recognized the grave threat posed by uh, this legislation. Well, the collective group calls itself Flag Officers for America, and it sports a simple website whose homepage reads, We are retired military leaders who pledge to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And although retired from active service, each of us feels bound by that oath to do what we can in our capacity today to protect our nation from the threats to our freedom to her freedom. After their critique of the 2020 election, the officers denounced President Biden's unprecedented spree of executive orders and his failure to work with Congress. They then hit on eight issues that threaten our nation, open borders, China, big tech censorship, the Iran nuke deal, the Keystone pipeline, the misuse of our military, rule of law, and the mental and physical condition of the commander-in-chief. Well, after each issue, the flag officers list the actions that a strong America must take. Well, their language is forceful and patriotic throughout, and their prescriptions have an unmistakable America first edge to them, standing in stark contrast to the current wave in Washington. Well, under a Democrat Congress, they write, and the current administration, the letter concludes, our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism and a Marxist uh, form of tyrannical government, 
which must be countered now by elected officials, electing congressional and presidential candidates who will always act to defend our constitutional republic. The survival of our nation and its cherished freedoms, liberty, and historic values are at stake. We urge all citizens to get involved now at the local, state, and or national level to elect political representatives who will act to save America, our constitutional republic, and hold those currently in office accountable. The will of the people must be heard and followed, end quote. Well, again, the uh, organization is Flag Officers for America, and they use the number four instead of the word spelled out, four. So Flag Officers for America, if you're interested in more of what they have to say. Well, in the wake of conservative representative Liv Cheney's of Wyoming's ouster from her House GOP leadership position, roughly 150 Republican or former Republican leaders who are opposed to former President Trump's continued strong grip over the GOP have signed a letter threatening to leave the party if it does not reform and return to its founding American principles. Well, the group statement of principles titled A Call for American Renewal was unveiled today. It outlines 13 principles to guide a rebirth of the American cause. We, therefore, they write, declare our intent to catalyze an American renewal and to either reimagine a party dedicated to our founding ideals or else hasten the creation of such an alternative, the statement pledges. The later letter rather was spearheaded by former GOP intelligence policy strategist and 2016 independent candidate for president, Evan McMullen and Miles Taylor, who served as chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security during the Trump administration. I'm proud to stand with over 150 prominent Republicans and independents calling for the reform of the GOP and the creation of a new home for Americans uh, left uh, unrepresented by political extremism, McMullen tweeted Thursday morning. Well, in an interview with Fox News, he emphasized that the light of Liz Cheney's sacking or in light of her sacking from House leadership and the rise of extremism in the Republican Party, we collectively believe it's important to articulate an alternative principle based vision for leadership of the party and of the country. Well, McMillan said the group's manifesto contains a vision for our desired leadership of the party and the country and what we intend to use to unite organize and mobilize disaffected voters who don't feel well represented by the two major parties. Well, he argued that in the wake of the deadly January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol by extremists aiming to disrupt congressional certification of now President Biden's electoral college victory over uh, Donald Trump, there are plenty of Republicans who look at the January 6th insurrection and say, that's not what I am part of who believe in fundamental American principles and who would like to get back to governing that embraces individual freedom as well as justice, that embraces truth and decency, and that is committed to preserving the American Democratic Republic. End quote. Well, the former president in a statement slammed the new push by what he termed a group of rhinos and losers, probably should have stopped at rhinos, uh, who are coming out to protest President Trump. Well, uh, Donald Trump remains incredibly popular with Republican Party base voters. Of course, he was the uh, last Republican president. That's not uh, unnatural, according to the most recent surveys. And he continues to remain incredibly influential over GOP politicians as the former president aims to play a kingmaker's role uh, in internal party politics in the 2022 election cycle. And as he repeatedly flirts with the 2024 run to try to return to the White House. But McMillan, he claimed that the that a fourth 
uh, to a third of the party has desired a new direction for it. Obviously, that's still a minority of the party, but it's a significant number. He pledged to mobilize those people and other Americans who are aligned with these principles and have an electoral impact in 2022 and beyond. Those people are poorly represented. And so this is an effort to um, uh, to try to do something about it. Other prominent names include attorney um, George Conway, a well-known anti-Trump Republican and husband of Kellyanne Conway, who managed Trump's 2016 general election campaign and served as a senior advisor in the White House. Former White House communications director Anthony Scaramucci, former Department of Homeland Security official Elizabeth Newman, former uh, Department or DHS general counsel John uh, Mitnick and former New Hampshire GOP chair Jennifer Horn. Many of these uh, signing the letter have for months discussed forming a splinter Republican Party in the wake of the storming of the Capitol. McMillan, Taylor and over 100 other people held a virtual meeting in February to explore forming a new political party or a new block within the GOP. Um, Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, who, along with Cheney, was one of the 10 House Republicans to vote in January to impeach Donald Trump for his role in inciting the insurrection, also attended that meeting. A straw poll taken during the gathering suggested there was a divide between launching a new and separate political party or forming a faction within the GOP. It's a developing story, and we certainly will continue to follow it. Well, the president of America's second largest teachers union is calling on all schools to open for five days a week and in-person learning for the next academic year. Note for the next academic year. Randy Weingarten, the head of the American Federation of Teachers, made the declaration today as uh, about only half of the nation's school districts are backed for fully in-person learning, according to the Return to Learn Tracker website. As of early May, Florida and Iowa are the only states in the country that have all of their school children back in the classroom, while every other state is still offering varying degrees of in-person and online instruction, the data shows. Well, conditions have changed, We can and we um, must reopen schools in the fall for in-person teaching, learning, and support, and we must keep them open fully and safely five days a week. Well, a little too late, many are suggesting, as uh, that particular um, Teachers Union was instrumental in influencing decisions made by the CDC and preventing in-school, in-class learning among students who are struggling all across the country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Heads up, tomorrow we're going to take a look at the lighter side of the news as well as uh, headline and breaking news and developing stories that we've been following. So uh, you can look forward to that. We'll also share with you uh, from the um, Christian Outlook. Mine just went completely blank. The Christian Outlook. Uh, we'll share that in the second hour of today's program. I had to go for a COVID test today, not because I'm um, demonstrating any of the symptoms, but I have a, a procedure that's going to take place on Tuesday. In fact, I'll be out on Tuesday. So I had to have another COVID test which I refer to as a lobotomy. And so uh, that is, um, I think, influencing my ability to remember things. I think maybe some of the swab is still stuck in the underside of my brain. In any event, the cancel culture must be getting desperate. After a month of having their lunch handed to them by Georgia, Montana, Arizona, Texas, and the um, conservative movement in general, the bullies uh, are 
frantically trying to prove they're still relevant. Well, the trouble is fewer and fewer people are A, intimidated, B, paying attention. But as promise keepers, Ken Harrison will tell you, that isn't stopping the, uh, it hasn't stopped the mob from making a stink about the big promise keepers event scheduled for July in Texas. Well, if you're looking for woke hotspots, U.S. sports may be the biggest offender outside of uh, government schools, Major League Baseball to the NCAA. America's leagues uh, seem intent on driving away fans and profits with the political extremism. USA Today's Mike uh, Freeman, a columnist for the paper, is the latest to bet that the NFL will back him in his absurd quest to cancel a Christian conference for daring men to act like, well, men, in particular, biblical men. Well, in today's world, that apparently is a shocking thing, shocking enough uh, that Friedman thinks Dallas AT&T Stadium should call off the event entirely. And this, again, is in Texas. I'm tired, Freeman declared dramatically, just really tired, tired of ignorance, he said, tired of fear, tired of how some use both as weapons, cloaking bigotry as patriotism or religious freedom, which is what he accuses promise keepers of uh, doing. Uh, Comments like uh, his, the sports beat writer, uh, shouldn't be anywhere near the NFL team. A company like AT&T shouldn't be associated with them either. And what are these outrageous comments that has left uh, in such hysterics? Well, nothing short of biblical worldview on marriage and gender. Look, Harrison said, when USA Today contacted him and asked if he regretted his stance, today's culture is blurring the lines when it comes to sexual identity. That's not hate speech, he insisted. That's just reality. Well, Freeman disagreed, insisting, as uh, so many do before him, uh, that people who identify as transgender simply want to exist. Uh, Where have we heard that before? from the domestic partnership debate, from the same-sex adoption and marriage debate, and now from the transgender debate, Harrison points out. Well, the far left has uh, been lying about this grand compromise for years. Live and let live, they promised during don't ask, don't tell, bathroom policy, and school debates. Now we have drag queens reading to our kids in elementary school, girls running from the uh, half-naked boys in their locker rooms, and teachers getting fired for using the wrong pronoun. Well, that's oppressing. It's Uh, coercing it's not as hundreds of victims will tell you existing or rather coexisting well the irony as ken explained on washington watch is that christians continue to welcome people they disagree with into the conversation we may disagree with some people on biblical marriage and sexuality but we don't want to exclude anybody that's the source of the attack is that people aren't going to be welcome we're saying bring everybody who wants to hear the gospel anybody uh, who jesus would appreciate Uh, that we want to preach to. So everyone is welcome to come. But we are going to be preaching the gospel clearly and authentically. And I did have one leader call me and say that he wanted us to assure him that nobody would be offended by our event and that we would preach the gospel. But if no one is offended, then we didn't really do a very good job. And frankly, Ken points out, everyone should be on the same side when it comes to the importance of fathers and solid marriages. The social benefits are too overwhelming to ignore. I was a politician in Los Angeles and South and South uh, Central L.A. back in the 80s. I saw what happened when boys are not raised with fathers. So says uh, Mr. Harris on the subject. I saw what happens. You had 90 percent who are um, really good people in a very Christian uh, church going culture in South Central L.A. held hostage by 10 percent of violent, angry, driven young men with no discipline. And that's where we're uh, heading unless men 
don't start to raise their kids and have biblical values and start to be unpopular with their kids every once in a while because they stand for what's uh, what's right. Well, so far, the Dallas Cowboys and owner Jerry Jones don't need convincing. They see the value in tens of thousands of men coming together to try to live a life of purpose. Uh, They've been great to us, and I have nothing negative to say about them at all. And uh, why should any of this be controversial? We are not teaching misogyny. We are not teaching chauvinism. We're teaching men to lay down their lives to be godly leaders to their families, to teach their children the word of God, to cherish and love their wives. That's what Promise Keepers is about. It's amazing that anybody would be threatened by that, and yet that is the case. Well, at the end of the day, the left is uh, scared of one thing, and that is, Harris says, our impact. They don't want to see us unified, standing strong, because that's when we're a powerful force for the Lord and our children. If the church would stick together, Ken believes, um, there's no limit to what godly men and women could do. Well, Promise Keepers is planning on getting together in July in Dallas at the AT&T Stadium, and the Cowboys are apparently going to welcome them to do just that. It is a challenge to stand for biblical principles, and it's uh, all too tempting to simply compromise or to remain silent on some things because, well, there's less friction in the process. But that process requires that we respond in a way that reflects the, uh, the character of Christ, and that, too, is the challenge. Sometimes our pride and our personal ego get in the way, and that's where the Holy Spirit must temper our approach to whenever we stand at odds with the the broader culture so that we don't um, provide a self-fulfilling prophecy in our approach because it seems to me in scripture doing what's right is what we are called to do but doing it in the right way is also what we're called to do we are told in scripture to expect opposition jesus himself said they oppose me um, i face tribulation and you're going to face the same thing so it's no surprise that there are opponents who stand not so much as uh, jesus also said against us but against Uh, against him, against his word, against the principles uh, that he espouses. So we shouldn't be surprised. But what should surprise the world is how we respond to that opposition. And that's the work that the Holy Spirit alone can work in us when we are willing to set aside our own ego and in humility recognize our need for him to approach the challenges that we face in this culture, as well as the world in general. Because um, in the world, Jesus said, you will no tribulation. So it's just a given. We are to expect it. In the comfort that we have enjoyed in the United States, I suppose we're less used to it than in the challenging cultures of the ancient world where life in general was just more difficult. But praise God, he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us navigate in this 21st century in a way that reflects not only doing what's right, but doing what's right in the right way. And that's uh, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us. And I think it will speak volumes to the world around us, that there's something quite unique about believers believers who are trusting in God and moving forward in love. Well, we're out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And I'd like to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. We'll take a look at the serious and some of the lighter news as well. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.